Hello, welcome to Stat Ontology. I'm Claudia, I use she, her pronouns. Hey, I am Michael, or Regression, and I use they, them. Um, and this week, as a follow-up to our first episode, we've got... If, if G is the uh, archetype for a girl group K-pop track, I think we might have the uh, archetype for at least a certain kind of um, boy group K-pop track. Definitely. Yeah, and that is Morotic by TVXQ. But before we kick off, there's also the other thing that's um, that I think we can talk more about with this track that we couldn't cover so much in G is a lot more of what surrounds the music, right? There's a lot to talk about here about the performance, the image, the the literal name TVXQ. So yeah, let's just start with like a a very brief biography of the group, like mm-hmm. so SM Entertainment. We've already established in episode one is the sort of behemoth of early and what well, most of k-pop's lifetime and that they were the home of some of the great hugely influential and uh like max stratospherically popular initial wave of groups and tvxq is their answer to well our first generation of boy groups are slowly dissipating and disbanding Let's create a second wave. It's probably also worth noting here that uh, the other thing that SM is kind of known for is their quote-unquote formula. They sort of came up with the idea that there is a certain template or a pattern. I believe the founder Lee Suman literally calls it neoculture technology. It's his idea that there's a certain template for a pop music group that will allow it to have a broad range of appeal within a market. So there is kind of a... I mean, it's both a characteristic and both lobbied as I I would call it an insult um, at SM and SM groups that they're very, that they can be a little soulless, that they can be weirdly like trend seeking without necessarily sticking to a particular image. I don't necessarily think that this is the case, but like that is a perception. Yeah, or even that, again, some people might perceive the like hyper structured and very deliberate way that these sorts of groups get put together as being a disadvantage and like i think we both just find that once we know that and once we can recognize that they're just a very compelling component of why they're so interesting i might be wrong but uh were they the ones that came up with the whole like rookie trainee pipeline i I think pretty much just looking at their formation um info on um wikipedia it's all stuff about how hot and shinhua like basically disband in the early mm-hmm. 2000s and right uh sm are sort of casting around for the next generation of boy groups mm-hmm. and they sort of like realize that oh we um this is the first time that they're like developing trainees in-house and putting them together in a variety of combinations and figure out that like ah some combinations work better than others and like some members of what becomes super junior get put put together with future TVXQ members and it doesn't work and then you try again in different combinations and figure out what might work and eventually they settle on a five member group right um TVXQ and a much larger one for super junior although uh even more briefly the way that the whole trainee system works is basically people uh young prospective uh performers basically get auditioned and if they make the audition they basically get trained to dance or to rap or to perform. They get media training. They get language training, uh, especially if they're non-native Korean speakers, um, to do all of these things that an idol would be prospected, would be uh, expected to perform. And after 
you know, a certain number of years in that pipeline, they may or may not be chosen as part of a group to date, like in which they debut. So not every trainee, and I'm talking more kind of contemporary, right? Not every trainee necessarily debuts. Not every trainee necessarily debuts with that company. Uh, trainees can sometimes sort of hop from company to company, trying to, you know, for various reasons, uh, but also to kind of like try to find a group that they can debut with. Uh, sometimes the trainees will appear in backgrounds of music videos uh, for established groups or as backup dancers, that kind of thing. Uh, it's sort of a game in the fandom, in some fandoms, and this is across many different companies, of like spotting your favorite band members before they debuted as like background extras in older groups music videos it's a lot <laughs> it of very fun. much is and you always get the, the like yeah. cherubic 14 year old 15 year old versions of them which is frequently frequently yeah. adorable but also like oh. feels weirdly voyeuristic mm. Mm. I, I mean there is a lot about the process of watching literal children turn into adults entirely within the media spotlight right um with their entire education built around the process of being media darlings and idols that is incredibly voyeuristic but like yeah there's a lot of fun and play to be had within that um but yeah the like just thinking about the reasons in which that make idols move around how they function uh, that like why you would be a training within a certain group and like sm's got the reputation for mostly targeting firstly vocalists and secondly targeting people who look very conventionally attractive that's like the trademark for what sm is looking for and then training um, them to be incredible dancers <laughs> yep exactly so that by the time you you're debuting in an sm group you are undoubtedly able to sing while pulling off incredible hyper athletic and hyper complex dance routines and are inevitably ripe for being highly commercially viable and marketable figures who can go You'll sell. You'll look great on the posters of your face that they are going to sell hundreds of thousands of. I mean, they're, they're going to sell hundreds of thousands of posters of your face, but also they're going to sell hundreds of thousands of tubes of toothpaste and mm -hmm. moisturizer and... Mm -hmm. uh, Snack commercials. Snacks, yeah. Yeah, everything um it's... and the, the sort of companies start to get a, a reputation and a feel based off the sorts of kinds of groups and the sorts of kinds of skills they value and mm -hmm. that like frequently um trainees like maybe will develop in ways that won't fit the aims and like target demographic um or uh target image even target target uh concept and um skill set that the uh, company in question is asked after and that prompts them to move elsewhere yeah um we will definitely come back with this i think when we talk about the other the other two big three companies oh 100 um and clearly they have very different feels but i think both because it sort of sets the template for what most k-pop groups are like and how the industry as a whole has developed sm is sort of this template that we start with so yeah um tvxq itself like it's sort of heralds like the big second generation broadly like i think you'd talk about girls generation boa and tvxq as being the sort of like totems of that second generation which is um a more slick um more managed um approach to production but also very specifically heavy international sales and marketing and yeah, it's I think noble we, that... i think we chose to start on the second generation because i think this is the moment where what we can now kind of point at and go ah that's k-pop like this is the moment where it sort of crystallizes and takes this form exactly it becomes something that's contiguous with the things that are dominating american charts now or indeed mm -hmm. continue to dominate korean charts now not that there are, like, no similarities between the very early stuff and TVXQ, but, like, this is when the sort of industrial forces coalesce to make it the sort of, like, systematic behemoth that it is. This is when the golem is born. Uh, so TVXQ, uh, and I do want to talk about that name. Go for it, go so for it. So it's part of the f it's part of the fine tradition of, uh, bit like, Hangul or... Uh, sort of 
Yeah, because like at this point also K-pop is looking outwards into the wider Asian market. So uh, the, the the name exists in Korean and Hangul, but also in Mandarin and also in Japanese. And the reason why it's called TVXQ is the uh, it is the official transliteration of the name they settled on in Mandarin, Dongfang Shenqi. However, it's it's more like if you romanized it but decided to put in all the cool letters. Because <laughs> if you romanized it in pinyin, which is like the sort of, I guess, like official or most common romanization system for pinyin, Dongfang Shenqi should be DFSQ. Which is just not as cool as TVXQ. You know, you got V, you got X, you got Q. They're all cool letters. V literally doesn't exist in Mandarin, but we won't let that <laughs> stop us. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and it literally means something like uh, East East God or East Spirit Rising. So yeah, that's the, the tonal world we're living in is like from the inception of the group, it's meant to be hyper-international. It's meant to be marketable in a variety of East Asian countries uh, mm -hmm. and languages. And it's meant to provide this sort of image of like transcendent and like transcendent talent. Um, and that that all feeds into the sorts of music that they make, the sorts of images that they choose to go for, and ultimately mm -hmm. the sorts of success they had. And that TVXQ is still probably one of the biggest K-pop groups in Japan. Yeah, um, they're the and, right. They were the first non-Japanese artists to like headline the like five dome tour, and it's like there's this huge, huge, huge group in Japan. Wikipedia helpfully tells me they are Japan's best-selling foreign artist and CD singles of all time, which is incredible. And of course, this is part of the like company strategy of like again at this point you see a lot of push for K-pop to be in Japan. But uh, and they achieve incredible success. And the the basic thing isn't just that this was strategic and like very deliberately planned, but like it worked. It really successfully worked. Um, there aren't too many groups that were able to like turn some moderate amount of Korean success into like international superstardom, but like. The model that SM found and that like propagated through groups like Girls' Generation and TVXQ really does seem to work. And this is part of the continuity that we're sort of observing and trying to talk about is that something about this is captured in what we're seeing now finally breaking into the US. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um... So the band itself, we have still haven't gotten to the song, but we're, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. It's fun to talk about the band. Uh, the group itself fractured. Yeah, if currently only two members are still within SM Entertainment and they still perform under that name uh, of TVXQ. Mm -hmm. The other three um, left the company on, in a fairly acrimonious split and um, formed a sort of pseudo like competing group or like a legacy version called JYJ named for the initials of their performing names. Mm -hmm. um jyj never quite achieved the same success even if they have like stuck around for a really long time yeah um i should also add just as a bit of i say bookkeeping but k-pop has a complex and fraught relationship with public scandals which always lurk just under the surface mm -hmm. both because there are incredibly pernicious and like conservative attitudes towards um things like drug usage and clubbing and partying but also because particularly among male idols culture of sexual abuse and violence and harassment seems pretty pervasive as well um which is all which is all further intensified because a large part of what these idols are selling is literally their image um and that's how you can get things like dating quote-unquote scandals which are essentially rumors that an idol is dating someone and that somehow this is a great travesty or dis and a uh, betrayal of their relationship, yeah. right? Yeah, to their to their fans, which is we're not going to go there yet. We will. Yeah, it certainly will come up sooner or later. But the um the reason I bring it up now is just that 
for reference, one of the members who left TVXQ in 2010 or so and joined JYJ, uh, Yuchun, uh, was um, convicted of drug usage during a much larger scandal called the Burning Sun sort of scandal. Um, Which is ongoing. Yeah, a very large ongoing probe into using a, a number of K-pop idols using a club as a cover for both drug trafficking and soliciting sex work and secretly su- um, filming sex. It's a messy, horrible thing, but we will right. certainly end up which, covering it. I mean, which also goes into questions about corruption in the police force and in the prosecution, and it, it's very deep. Uh, and it goes, I think, quite far beyond k-pop as an industry but it is yeah it became a a vehicle for talking about the relationship between korean governance and like public image and the use of those sorts of industries to launder and um Mm -hmm. control the image of the state however we mention this only because one of the members is very peripherally involved and subsequently like retired from the entertainment industry um, uh, yeah, after he was after he uh, admitted uh, the drug charges against amphetamine usage. Yeah, uh, amphetamine usage. Yeah. So like, it's hardly the most groundbreaking things, and it's not exactly like American artists have done. <laughs> no, there are certainly American pop artists who have done far far worse, but just this is the sort of like that's the sort of biography of the group, all in all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of important to have sort of put that on the table when we have a, have an idea of what TVXQ is and the sort of things that they're they're like mm-hmm. selling when they're when they're doing their thing. Speaking of what they're selling, I think we can finally get around to the music video, that performance, the song, yeah. any of these things. Indeed. As always, before you before you go and, and listen to the rest of us spieling about Morotic, go listen to the music video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and indeed watch it. It's a gold mine. Um it's, it's glorious. Um, just as a, a brief aside, there is the reason you might find it hard to stream this track in international territories is because the song was sold simultaneously to a random German singer at the same time as it was sold to TVXQ, and the rights were split so that in some territories you can only really access the the track called "Under My Skin" by Sarah Connor. And mm-hmm. in the rest of the world, you get TVXQ's version of the same track with the same writers. Um, I have to say, the German version really isn't very good. Um, no, <laughs> it's not as. It's just. Mm. It's it's just markedly more boring. <laughs> it's just not very interesting, frankly. And that's all we got for that. It it really is just like I want to hear that the K-pop singers that's like they're much more much more impressive to listen to. Um. But yeah, the. Do you just want to like comment on the sort of like visual style of this music video first, like? Which okay, so the the shorthand for this era of music video filming is boys in a box. <laughs> it really is. You take your boy band, you put some mysterious lighting in a large box, and you make them dance. So I have to say. The one thing that separates this particular box from others is that it's circular, or at least appears to be circular. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, um, most groups aren't so fortunate and have literally like um, a colored box. Yeah, like it's a it's a cube. This is not an exaggeration. Um, we'll almost certainly cover more well lit cubes later, mm-hmm. but it's important to like, yeah, this is the sort of manicured produced style is like. Yeah, this is just this is just a set. This is a set that is built in a room in a studio, and it probably took about a day and a half to film this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also worth remembering that this kind of box dancing MV set also translates really well onto a stage, and because a really important part of I think the whole pop music promotion cycle scene, like the ways in which people consume k-pop is that you watch live televised uh performances or not live as necessarily as in the 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 sense of like streamed but uh and not even necessarily live in the sense of they're performing it live on the stage because very often um the vocals are pre-recorded because 
it's not a it's not really an indictment of skill it's just a fact that it is hard to sing well and dance well at the same time and especially <laughs> and especially with the kinds of choreography that's expected of artists now it's almost impossible uh, and for the few bands or the few members of a band where you where their microphones are live you can almost always hear them just panting not even like before the song ends like you can hear them like really exerting themselves and then you kind of understand why they pre-record and lip sync yeah it's like if a standard k-pop song is three minutes 30 seconds to or so like somewhere in that ballpark <laughs> if that's three minutes 30 of like hyper intense physical cardio with an intense spotlight on you stage makeup and an audience and that <laughs> you're also doing one of the most like complex things you could possibly do with your breathing which is trying to sing while you're doing this cardio exercise it's not yeah. exactly it's not exactly the easiest um thing to try and do yeah but that sort of leads straight on to like what what we're talking about is like the most physically intense version of choreography and this um this track is from 2009 and we're not quite at that stage yet god remember those days when you a band finished and the the, the members didn't look like they were about to fall over and like collapse from exhaustion i mean you do still get the thing where they haven't quite figured how like matte stage makeup and good flat lighting works yet so they are very shiny if you look at any live videos yes i, I was also watching the live um tv performance and uh this is before the kind of headset mic so they all have actual stage mics that they're holding although that that's like sometimes that's like a choice that's an affectation oh totally that's, um yeah. at the same time though it does also like another way to make your dance less intense is just taking one limb entirely out the equation where it just has to hold a microphone right. in front of your face yep um the dance itself is like like we're sort of like um preempting the sort of like what is the song itself liked as a feel but the dance is mm -hmm. like smooth and slow and not particularly like jerky and violent it's mm -hmm. it's minimal you know i say minimal not as in like it doesn't include a lot of continual movement but like the movements are controlled and very within like natural body positions there doesn't yeah. there aren't like big athletic like dramatic motions in this yeah you don't get huge uh you know level changes you don't get things where people are basically a level changes when you basically go from you know standing to maybe a squat to like any if you're lowering or raising yourself that's a level change and it's extremely tiring consist if, if you ask yeah. <laughs> we've had the fortune of asking some people who've tried doing this sort of thing level changes mm -hmm. is the thing that exhausts you more than anything else in um dance mm -hmm. and but yeah this is a sort of era we don't have that quite yet um but I don't think that's particularly a problem um, because no. the point of the dance isn't to be about emphasizing athleticism or, or like drama. It's about making them look hot and sexy. Uh, in a way that in a way that fits with the tone of the song and the concept yeah. that they're going for. And the, the song itself is all a, just it's about seduction, basically. Like the aim of it mm -hmm. is to be like the keyword that I pulled out in my head is like slick. Yeah, it's meant to be propulsive, like mysterious um it's inviting and like in a like funky dangerous romantic way um i that might sound slightly oxymoronic but i think that's a sort of tone that people will absolutely understand if you'd like see the music video yeah or listen um, to it honestly yeah and this is the point as in like the the song plays a huge role in establishing the tone as much as like low cut mm -hmm. and open sh open suit outfits do um just a little thing about the ex like the explicit like purpose of the lyrics like the key lyric in the uh in the track is i've got you under my skin and when you put it in context with the rest of the rest of the music video which is like femme fatale who's like holding them hostage magically yes magically with like fake chains and things it's it's great mm -hmm. again um, someone wrote the wikipedia page and literally listed all of the ways in which they're being held <laughs> captive and i love it <laughs> yeah i mean th th 2000s music videos were like a treasure trove for this sort of bullshit yeah um the 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 actual like explicit thing about the um about the music video is on like i've got you under my skin isn't about 
the boys being like beguiled by this female temptress it's the other way around it's that having someone under your skin means you've like captured them or trapped trapped them so it's like they're saying to the prospective listener hey i've got you trapped i've got you entranced or whatever it might be Mm-hmm. And it's just fun to have the um, the the group have the ability to play it both ways to like yeah that seduction the tone is seduction regardless of whether they're the targets or like exponents uh, of it like yeah the ones the seducting people enacting being, it right. yeah exactly mm-hmm. um I just do want to flag up as an individual moment probably my favorite in the entire music video at about two minutes and 48 nine seconds is quite possibly the most hilarious bit of um glass breaking cg that i've ever seen in my life oh my god it's so good it's it's incredible these shards are enormous they just fly out (laughs) it's it's wonderful um as they escape their magical prisons yeah exactly Right, they're they're breaking out of their prisons and going into the final chorus, I believe. Yeah, the final chorus where, like, look at us being powerful and capable, not being trapped and being sexy at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right, now now we're the ones pursuing. Exactly. It works both ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so this is the trap we've got. It's five-member boy group with, like seduction and slickness and uh mystery and then slowly becoming power and right there's a there's a confidence in here yeah like the confidence sort of emerges and grows over the track as the track itself grows right and uh i mean just as a exercise in comparison to g which is you know also about love but a very different type a very different style this track is literally half as fast yeah but it's a very sedate 100 bpm you know we talked a lot about how g's 200 bpm makes it this fast and frantic kind of affair whereas this is a lot more sedate it's not hurried it's quite sparse on the percussion yeah uh, um, it's it, it's instrumentation isn't bouncing up and down off the walls and ceilings yeah like this is entirely in keeping with the sorts of like electronic based r&b that we're getting a lot of at this point in time i think Probably the most obvious point of reference would probably be Timberland's style of production. Um, if people think about him and his work with Justin Timberlake and Missy Elliott, that's probably our best point of comparison. But I mean, it's even less out there and even less inventive than that. It's just quite stock standard electronic based R&B. Um, my, my like little like reference to the thing that always makes it stick in my head is the intro having this sort of like filtered percussion sound, which is incredibly reminiscent of Pharrell's very standard trademark 4B intro that you can hear on pretty much everything he makes. The best song. So that's the sort of sound we're dealing with, like early 2000s electronic based R&B. So like if Morotic is a slowish, mid-tempo, pretty sedate and like, like unhurried R&B track, what is its real hook? Um, the, the the drums have almost nothing going on in them. So for rhythmic interest, you're in, almost entirely reliant on that bass line, which is just an octave bounce, but it's a sufficiently like interesting octave bounce that that's pretty much the entire hook for the song. Um, this song has one chord sequence that it uses for the entire track. And we'll talk quite mm. a lot about how it uses that chord sequence for uh, for Mullet Fur. For harmonic interest but like if you find this song catchy it's probably because of the baseline yeah and it's probably because it's the baseline which is bouncy and groovy and just a bit syncopated mm-hmm. and the the vocal line just bounces off the backbeat of the baseline though the baseline sort of organizes the whole track around it 
Incredibly simple, very limited range, but just with that sort of interesting syncopated rhythm um, that like means that you have primarily a rhythmic hook to this track, which is an interesting way of running things. I think having sat it next to G, I think that's a, a pretty common way that K-pop will do it. That like if you can't be particularly adventurous in the way you use harmony and melody then one of the best ways to capture people's attentions is incredibly hooky rhythms. Yeah, which, to be clear, it's not that K-pop is not capable of being very interesting. Harmonically, melodically, we're going to get there. But uh, that is not the tack they went with for these two. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I sort of think that it's kind of indicative of the way that K-pop... I think that's a very specific thing to the way that K-pop has evolved, is that historically they it's felt the need to be incredibly conservative with harmony and melody mm -hmm. whereas over the last five to ten years it has grown the capacity to but have much more complexity in its harmony and melody and keep it rooted by relying on dance music forms that are more conservative in the in the rhythms right right um but yeah this is this is the track we're dealing with a harmonically very simple uh, a melodically very limited track that just is catchy because it's like got a nice driving like slinky beat mm -hmm. um the the progression that we've got in terms of harmony is stunningly simple it's a two-part sequence it's four bars of a minor chord c-sharp minor which is our root key one bar of a um, minor four and then a major five or like a sort of ambiguous five So the phrasing of the chord sequence is slightly asymmetric. It's four bars on the root chord, one on the four, one on the five. So a six bar sequence in total. But super common. It's super common. These are like, <laughs> uh, yet again, when we talk about there are four chords in pop music, just as G only used three of the four chords, mm -hmm. um, uh, Marotic only uses a different three, but a similarly three of the four chords of pop music. And that's sufficient for the entire track. Going going one four five one is like lesson two of music theory in terms of like you are extremely basic chord progressions that literally everybody uses. Entirely. Um, which makes it really interesting how it uses harmony in interesting ways when it finally gets around to it. Um, the other thing I want to just point out though is that it's a chord sequence that is incredibly happy looping uh, looping around on itself that yeah. it's incredibly comfortable in that loop pattern. And that I don't want to say that that's got a particular function because a lot of pop music has to have that sort of patterning. But it's a very solid basis for them to riff off of and ad-lib, which we will see they do extremely extensively. Extremely extensively. I think more than anything, though, the, the fact that the, the, the sequence is asymmetrical is like kind of important for this track. Mm, that, yeah. um, that like it's... It wouldn't a track that's meant to be like slinky and like propulsive wouldn't work quite as well if it was really like static and really predictable in the way it used its phrases. So having an asymmetrical like structure to its harmonic sequences allows it to unbalance the phrases and keep a sense of progression going, which is I just think a useful thing to um to a, a useful thing for the songwriters to have because it allows them to like create some tension and interest over time. So like. The verse, the first verse at least, is incredibly simple. It has a range of about a fourth. It's most of it is two notes, and occasionally it goes up another note and fills in the note in the middle, and that is it. It is one of the most simple um, melody vocal melodies that I think I've ever heard in pop music, and it's still remarkably, uh, remarkably catchy just because it's on that like fun pinging syncopated rhythm. Yeah, syncopation is just, just, brains love it. One weird trick. Uh, one weird trick to... <laughs> brains hate it. Uh, and, and like, to bring that over from the percussion into also the, uh, the verse. I mean, it's, it's just a good basic setup, right? To have your syncopation in the verses into a very kind of right-on-the-beat uh, chorus 
which then leads to this like that extremely satisfying extremely long you it's a it's it's a simple formula that works it's a really simple formula um so yeah we're getting towards that chorus the thing the chorus does is just add more baseline that's pretty much all the transition between the um the verse and the chorus isn't particularly like heralded by like a big percussion moment or a, a or indeed any change in the melodic or harmonic pattern all it is is just it goes from a quite trebling quite thin bass line to something that's like big beefy and fills out the whole bottom end of the track and and that proceeds to stay there like it's a, this is a song that just like literally starts you off with nothing for that but that very synthy kind of percussion adds one voice on top of it and then just starts slowly adding more and more and more on top until you get to the end yep the um the 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 sort of structure of this track is entirely about progressive addition um the, the, with the marginal exception of the second yeah. verses, but we'll get that because the, they they add in different ways. It's just that the the baseline is a thing that comes in for the chorus and then mm -hmm. sticks around. Um, so yeah, the 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 first thing you'll notice about the melody is it's no more complex. It isn't. It's less syncopated. Yeah. But what it does do is just add two voices in harmony. And um, th that's sort of the, the thing that TVXQ want to do is use multiple voices and use vocal harmony as the like interesting like thing that this chorus is doing. Um, even when it's incredibly basic um, melodically and very, very limited and slow in the sort of rhythmic progression yeah. it's using. Um, and we just sort of got to talk about the I Got You. That's, this, is the, this is the track. The track is entirely encapsulated in that two bar turnaround I got you under my skin so yeah um, this is the moment where the track actually starts like it starts flexing songwriting muscles that um Firstly, when it hits I Got You, it expands into a, a three-part harmony, which is really, like, wonderfully, like, sonorous and warm and inviting. Oh, yeah. And um, we finally get the first instance of melisma in the whole track. Um, melisma being a singing term for when you change notes over a single song syllable, where most of the singing and indeed, well, I think indeed all of the other singing in this track is syllabic. Um if you change your note, it's because you're also changing your syllable. song right. syllable. Um, um, so yeah, we finally get melismatic singing. We get a slide in a in the vocal part from that four chord on that I got you, and the you just slides up to what turns out to be a really unexpected mm -hmm. chord because it's the fifth degree of the scale and it's a major seven, which is just sort of not what we were expecting. Um, this track is otherwise entirely in made up of minor chords um so you get this sort of like very arch quite formal and quite dramatic moment where it hits that um hits that uh seventh chord it's a it's a yeah it's a place where the the it's a chord that doesn't want to be there it doesn't want to stay there it's it's yeah. it's one of those things where it's uh it immediately screams no no go back turn around <laughs> exactly um the function like and function meaning the role within composition in in a sort of technical sense of a of a seven chord um is to point towards the uh, chord five degrees below it and so if you use a, a fifth degrees seventh it's screaming go back to the root go back to the root and that's exactly what it does it's just that we didn't have that elsewhere in the track we've had incredibly limited amounts of like harmonic guidance it's been pretty sparse and it's pretty much been one voice so finally getting these additional voices hitting the um the additional notes of the chords uh to fill it out um gives you like 
some sense of function in the harmony. And that's a really rewarding thing when you've spent so little time having that in the rest mm-hmm. of the track. Um, and then just in terms of like to dig into a little bit of how you do this sort of songwriting, which I think is re- like, it's not particularly remarkable, but um, it's it's just a telltale of how good songwriting works and how you translate from ideas about the tone of a piece to the sort of technical things you can do to make it happen. So I said earlier that we were in the key of C-sharp minor. Um, that's still true, but very specifically, we're using the scale of C-sharp harmonic minor. Um, so to unpack that, there are a bunch of different kinds of minor scales, um, all of which are slightly different flavors of minor, but all of which have that characteristic minor third. The different, the other notes in the scale can vary though, and like change what they're evocative of. So you get some minor scales which are like quite traditional sounding and dark and closed off and natural minor scale comes to mind. And the one that we've got here is the harmonic minor, which is, it has a very distinctive interval of a a minor third. And I, I will absolutely... You should do that because uh, what I just hummed was my brain going, oh, just play back a harmonic scale for me. But it's like, once you once you hear that, it's, it's an interval that is, you don't have to have perfect pitch. It's really easy for you to pick out. Exactly. Um, so the way that you'd... Um, Sorry, specifically, the harmonic minor has like a lot of associations with like formal and classical music. Um, the reason it's called a harmonic minor is because it's used as the basis for a lot of harmonic progressions in mm-hmm. uh, composed music. And it, it's meant to provide you with a bunch of chords that spit out nice harmony. The way you do that is, um, so remember when I defined a chord last time? <laughs> A series of notes stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if we take three notes, usually, sometimes more, but we'll start off with three, and just go through each um, each note on the scale and play three notes separated by thirds. Thirds being the standard way you like stack notes in Western harmony to create basic chords. And I will just play that sequence of um, seven distinct chords. And some of them will sound a bit yucky. Some of them will sound interesting, maybe a bit leading. But we get the four chords that we're using here. We get one minor, we get four minor, and we get a five major. And then sort of once you recognize that, you can use any of the chords in this scale. These songwriters have only needed to pick three. But that any note in the harmonic minor scale will sound pretty consonant no matter which chord you pick. Um, so that you can do a lot of things that sound really lush and sometimes might apparently be dissonant given the sort of awkward intervals involved, but sound entirely consonant to the chords that we've picked and in sound really, in this case, lush, inviting, complex, maybe a bit mysterious because that's the tonality of the scale that we've picked. And that's basically how a lot of formal songwriting works is you pick your scales, you pick chords that fit within the scales, and that means you always know which notes are going to fit diatonically. You have, a, you have a framework that keeps things all in key together. Um, and that's how you get that wonderfully awkward interval in the middle of the turnaround, and instead of sounding awkward, it sounds awesome and hits that incredibly dramatic, weird, unexpected, great chord. <laughs> The entirety of this track hinges on this turnaround. If you don't like the turnaround, you're sort of lost with it because there isn't really much else going on. 
I mean, I, I through the whole explanation, I was listening to the German version, <laughs> the alternate universe version of Merotic that existed in the West. And it's still good there. That you is still the high point. Now, for a myriad other reasons, that track doesn't work as well. Well, I think the the primary one is just that they never get beyond two part harmony, whereas Marotic gets to four part. Marotic, like it adds in passing notes that complicate it even further. It adds sevenths and ninths. It fleshes it out in ways that sound exotic and awkward, but fit perfectly with the tonality of the piece. It's it's also a lot more. We were talking about how it's a it's it's an additive progression. Right. You are as you progress in the song, you are adding progressively more things to create that interest. But I mean, this alternate universe song under my skin does the same thing. It's just that the gradient, right, the difference between when it begins and when it how much stuff you've had on top at the end is a lot more slight than in Marotic. Marotic starts you off with nothing but the percussion. Right, and at the end you have this like you've got a bass, you've got harmonies, you've got ad libs on top of the harmonies. The ad libs have been, you know, they're they're they've been processed. It's not just the singing voice. There's some um, a myriad of vocal textures. Fun, right? Fun electronic filters, and I'm doing the SpongeBob rainbow gesture here, <laughs> uh, on top of it, which which all makes it interesting. It it just adds different textures, different flavors, right? To hold your interest, and unfortunately, and under my skin, that's it just doesn't really you happen. You start with the, you have the bass and you have the percussion at the get go, and the problem is, for a very simple track, it doesn't really have a lot more tricks up its sleeve that you can no. reveal. And this is sort of the power of a K-pop boy group is that you always have five voices to dip into. You have five different flavors that you can draw from, just in terms of the voices you hear. Never mind the sorts of things you can ask them to do. And within those five voices, at least three of them are going to be competent enough that you can put them in a harmony. Exactly, exactly. Right, that's that's what the training system guarantees. Indeed. And at this point, like, the we end up with four at points. Um, and it yeah. sounds lush, and it sounds inviting and warm and beguiling. And these are the sorts of, like, tone words that I'm gesturing towards for, like, what happens when you very artfully use a lot of tension notes around uh, around the harmonic minor scale. And this is that's the trick. That's this that's the trick. If you take anything away from right. getting your head around what this turnaround is doing, it's going into that kind of especially in the end, near the end of the song, when when the main vocalist, you know, when the best singers of the group are told basically, okay, go wild. Go, go mad. The the other members are there to provide this kind of bedrock, the sort of foundation where the sound is already full and lush, but you get that kind of cherry on the top. Exactly. From these incredible, from these runs, from these high notes, these ad libs. just are taking this melody that you've become extremely familiar with over the course of this two almost three minute run and just doing something slightly different you could possibly say it's got under your skin oh good tie Uh i mean these are also the high points in a live concert oh entirely like these are the points where the vocalist shines they're also dramatic visual moments. They're moments where you drop out of formation in the dance. They're moments that you stand aside and belt and you can see the neck muscles straining and the, the abs rippling underneath your completely open suit. Like mm-hmm. they're dramatic in the ability to craft dramatic moments for us, not just in like, ah, oh, it's a really high note, but it's a really high note that like shows out what this incredible vocalist is capable of. Right. However, now that we've talk, talked about incredible vocals, we do need to talk about that rap break. We do. That rap break. We do. We, we do. Um, 
it's which oh my god <laughs> what words do you have to describe this is the other accusation I think lobbied at K-pop. K-pop can't rap. And, like, and this is not purely a sort of like Western criticisms of K-pop. No, this is like a domestic one as well. Yeah, people people uh, can listen to American rap music and know what good or at least other kinds of popular rap music sound like. And K-pop just like for a very long time had no idea how to achieve it. Right. It exists in that it fulfills that criteria we were talking about, you know, this thing that K-pop loves, which is contrast um, in structure, in melody, you know, like somewhere in there, even if you have very basic elements to make sure people aren't kind of turned off if you are doing something weird with your contrast element, that's what the rap break functions as. I mean, the, obviously the, uh, the the danger of having something simple and catchy that's kind of familiar to your ears is that it becomes really really boring <laughs> in about two minutes and so at two minutes there will be a break it's either going to be a rap break or if the whole song was mostly rapped it's going to be a, a a song break and obviously other things can accompany it but... i mean so firstly the other thing that frequently accompanies accompanies it is a dance break and we just don't get that oh yeah we we just don't get any dancing because this isn't a song about dancing this is a song about looking cool and hot so yes. during this rap break, they just sort of like shuffle their shoulders quite kind of awkwardly. It's it's not a good look, honestly. No, no. The, the, the live version I'm watching, the cameraman tries his best with this kind of like 180 degree spin. And even then, uh. <laughs> it's not quite there. Yeah, I, I have to say the the thing that K-pop rap couldn't figure out for an eternity is having interesting voices like... This is just some men speaking vaguely in time. Um, if we were if we were being possibly excessively kind, I would have called it sing rapping, which seems to be the trend. Oh, so like you're not really rapping. No, so th- you're talking. I, I I disagree, honestly. <laughs> okay. So sing rapping is like there has to be there is a like a deliberate like you're still trying to sing as and you're still trying to hit pitches. This is not that. This isn't trying to hit pitches. What it is, is too sustained and too, like, fluid to be impressive and direct and, like, incisive as rap. Uh, it's just really, like, wet. It's... I, calling it... S- s- wet, damp. Yeah, it's moist. It's horrible. Oh, no. <laughs> A moist rap, the worst thing. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. Um. The rap, gra- the rap break is not good. Um, some groups no. are just vocal groups. They got to live with that. Um, just like you talk about the reasons you might include a rap break for structural reasons, for interest reasons. The cynical version of it is like people want to hear urban flavors in their in their pop music, and like I was dancing around that point, but yes, no, like it, it's pretty explicit. Like K-pop tries to steal whatever is both marketable and popular, and like made popular by the hegemony of American pop music. Yeah. And just as American pop acts like steal in the random like verse of high profile hip hop artists to make their to make their their track more marketable to black audiences. Or you know, to 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 to, to not mince words about it, it it's right, it's there to appropriate black music and the signifiers of black music for a that like a wider audience. Yeah, making it palatable by stripping out a lot of honestly what makes it interesting entirely so like in the US at least you have the the combination of white audiences like black aesthetics but also black people are a market to sell to whereas in Korea mm-hmm. like the target is we've just figured out that like clearly Korean or indeed East Asian audiences want rap music but they want it in a way that's digestible and also safe politically and morally like well, by the time it's leapt continents and just kind of been completely divorced from the context in which it originated, it ceases to really signify anything other than cool. Yeah, entirely, entirely. Which is, I mean, obviously not uh, uh, an excuse. Uh, and K-pop, again, has this really fraught relationship with blackness and black signifiers, and largely because, again, 
by the time it has leapt all the way to Korea, a lot of that kind of specificity and meaning is gone. Yeah, I was going to talk about the regrettable trend that still happens of occasionally K-pop stylists put dreadlocks on their artists and I want them to stop. It's very bad. Dreadlocks and cornrows on Korean artists. Don't. Um, I'm sure there are going to be tracks or cultural appropriation issues are like front and center, but like, I think it's important that bad rap is like front and center in any discussion about what cultural appropriation looks like in K-pop. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not just about styles. It's about whole musical traditions and heritages, which are just bastardized. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, because they're supposed to be there because of a sense that they, they feel right to the demographic. They feel right as a thing you can market this product around exactly and like i want to also be clear like jazz is jazz is a tradition jazz is a tradition that involves not only a lot of cultural signifiers but a lot of actual technical practices like Mm -hmm. no one has a monopoly in the technical practice of like knowing how particular scales or progressions or indeed like tropes within jazz or r&b harmony work but K-pop never tries to steal the like public signifiers or like the social signifiers of jazz music. It does all the time with hip hop. Yeah. So yeah, different sorts of ways of adopting things from other cultures mean radically different things depending on how they're used and which bits of it you use. But at this time, for this track, it means terrible rap. <laughs> it's really awful. Like uh... we do eventually come around and there are groups with very talented rappers, very talented idol rappers. Yeah. Uh, and we, we do eventually get to the stage where, um, you know, these rappers are finally writing their own parts and sort of... More than anything, I think the, there is a set of specifically Korean or specifically East Asian social signifiers for what rap music is about that aren't... that are certainly, like, obviously influenced by um, American hip-hop. But they aren't, like, wholeheartedly stealing from it. They aren't entirely dependent on, like, taking the obviously cool bits and just repackaging them in safer ways and more marketable ways. They're very specifically, like, Mm -hmm. crafts that are, like, local and worked on by, like, these people who have their own ideas about what it should look like and what it can look like, given the context. And at some point, we're going to talk about, like, what Korean hip-hop and Korean rap can really be, as well as, like, what better rap just sounds like within K-pop. Um, oh yeah but we gotta wait for that for a little while like several years yeah <laughs> maybe a decade yeah meanwhile yeah meanwhile <laughs> enjoy yeah meanwhile enjoy horrible rap rank <laughs> which is then saved by this incredible vocal belt yeah just this this just and 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 we just kick it up we just just take it from moist and ramp it back up into gear thank you oh, you got it entirely so i do want to just there are a couple of the ad-libs that i just love to death um i say ad-lib one isn't quite an ad-lib but within the middle of the second verse um i don't know the names of any of the members of tvxq but excuse me don't worry once we get to shiny it'll become unbearable yeah we'll just talk about individuals all the time and also probably how attractive they are stay tuned for next step so you know um spoiler alert uh, um yeah in the second verse before the rap break thankfully um mm-hmm. in the music video it's about 135 um you get the vocoder parts which is what we were talking about earlier different ways of adding texture to the music when you can't just hammer the baseline permanently um the baseline gets hammered in the second chorus and all the way through to the end mm-hmm. uh but like the second verse you can't have it all the way through the track that would get exhausting so you need other ways of thickening up the thickening up the texture and we have this perfectly good vocoder in the corner, so on it goes. Exactly. So the, the thing that they do with the vocoder, though, is a thing called um, contrapuntal elaboration, which is generally when you have a static harmony, we have that, we have the one chord and it's still on the one chord for the whole bar for the whole phrase indeed Mm -hmm. and what it just does is like add a note and change that note over time so you get sort of subtly different flavors of the harmony over time the particular flavor we've got is just descending chromatic line and 
the most famous bits of like chromatic descending um contrapuntal elaboration are all spy themes it's the james bond theme the that's all same chord hammered over again where you just change the relevant additional note and mission impossible uh sorry that's mission impossible sorry whoops <laughs> mixing up my things uh, and um but i mean oh that, entirely that kind um, of goes and to james point, bond right? um which is entirely the same thing of the root chord isn't changing whatsoever but the sort of flavor and the texture you get from changing the additional tension notes um like makes it sound interesting and slinky so there's a very specific like association of this sort of chromatic movement with like mysterious dangerous adventurous sex appealing this this chord has gone off on a prowl yes <laughs> the chord went off on a prowl you know it's gonna eventually come back having done things <laughs> hey you're welcome yeah no i that's <sighs> the best that's the best thing we're ever gonna say in this podcast the chord went off on a prowl <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah love it um and yeah, my other like favorite is one that it gets a lot of usage um is the the four note woe um that happens at the end of every second bar towards the, the end of the track it's very yeah. very frequent the thing i like about it though is it just it clashes um it doesn't sound like it clashes but it's got a flat seven instead of the the natural seven that you have in the harmonic minus um harmonic minus scale so that it just means that you get the wonderful moments where you hear the big upfront belt with this flat seven and that you just have that in the back of your mind when you get to the turnaround and hear the really lush harmony that focuses all around that much brighter much um much less strident but much like more like complex sounds that you get is it's a balance to strike the second half of the track that like progressively as it gets thicker it gets more confident and strident and powerful but you also got to keep the harmonic interest and a way of doing that is just letting them clash which is just a, a really wonderful moment right um there's also just someone let them include the only race sixth in the whole track in a, <laughs> in a run near the end which is just like I was not expecting that and it's a very it's a very nerdy and very satisfying way of getting yet more clashes in through the ad-libs but that's what I mean it's like three 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 minutes and you know exactly what's going to happen and this is when you just let everything loose and just go, have fun go wild do do things you weren't supposed to do let it clash let it be um crunchy and contrasting and kind of spiky almost yeah just in totally. the because it's satisfying you've been building this whole time and now the fireworks are going off entirely and like just to be clear tvxq have some really fucking good vocalists like these are good vocal performances right right they, they were picked as like a vocal dance group that, like, that's this is the thing. thing they're really good at it god bless these performances god bless that ending shot when uh you know that time when everybody when the when the dumb thing was reflecting the like round ring light you used oh yeah in the, the eyes of like yeah <sighs> that's just a that's 2000 just a... aesthetics were like a whole lot a whole like that there's so much to deal with God. We, we survived i'll put it that way we survived, we survived. the thing we we still haven't talked about is the hair I, I feel like that deserves some mention there's just like a lot of like it is it is it is we are we are moving into the realm of progressions from the bowl cut it's progression from the bowl cut towards emo though like yeah those those are the poles the poles of k-pop hair at this point in time are sorry Bolka also includes the I'd like to see the manager um 
Oh god, like swept over asymmetrical fringe. Yeah, the what are the sort of like they're not sideburns, they're lo- what would a side hmm the like hanging bits that go where a sideburn which should be? They're extreme. Uh. I'm not making much sense. I'm just going to call them side bangs for now. <laughs> but they're there and they're spiky. Yeah, they're, they're spiky and they say, I would like to speak to the manager, but also I'd like to listen to my chemical romance in a darkened room for extended periods of time. When paired with the abundance of uh, sleeveless vests, which may or may not have a jacket on top, but definitely don't have a shirt under. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a It's a whole look. It really is. Honestly, like this is how the the world and the the sorts of body images have changed. Like you're seeing not just a fair bit of out, but you're also seeing quite a lot of rib. Like mm. the being muscly is not the archetype here. It's entirely about being like about being skinny and youthful. I think is the sort of like primary thing. Youthful is, I think, definitely more. Yeah, than and this is a group that has been running for seven years by this point. Like they were not spring chickens, and yet they're like still cashing in on the like. We're skinny and baby-faced, mm-hmm. um, which is... Uh, Unfairly perfect skin helps, though. The, like, hey, this is... <laughs> I'd say this is career, and that should be self-explanatory. It might not be, but, like, skincare industry in Korea is probably the most saturated and developed in the entire world. And skincare for men as well. Uh, there's not remotely the same kind of stigma uh, attached to men taking care of their skin. And, like trying to achieve and maintain this kind of like youthful clear complexion um as exists in the west i think yeah i mean again there are going to be points where the way in which k-pop trades off youth is a much more important thing than it is with tvxq who's like an old grandee group by this point right but um it still certainly matters um it's still certainly part of the way that they cut across being seductive Part of it is mm-hmm. very definitely being youthful. Um, I sort of feel like that's that's it. I think I think we've said all we can. In that case, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.